I'm Beth. I'm Holly. And we're the Mombies. I got a house with at least four dead bodies in it. Like, what is that? How much worse can you get, really? That's a great question. Weird. Just, just absolutely strange. How do you even do that? I feel like it's gotta mean something. Something. Hello, spooky humans. Welcome back to the Mommy's Podcast. I'm Beth. I'm Holly. And this is another bonus episode. Woo! I didn't know we were doing the bonus episode first. I, I forgot yeah. until I started. Oh, shit. Surprise this is a bonus. to me. Look at that. Hi, guys. Uh, <laughs> oh, I literally have I'm Katie on here because Katie was with us oh. when we were recording last time. <laughs> and we didn't finish I'm Katie. this one. So. Oh, oh, no. Katie's not here. Hi, Katie. Love you, Katie. Um, so tonight we are doing a deep dive into one of Ed and Lorraine Warren's cases for you guys. And um, we all know there's tons of cases to choose from. And some of them have lots of information. So instead of telling one that everybody already knows, I at least picked one I don't know. So yeah, I don't know this one either. Um, so I decided to tell you guys the story of the Beckford family. Uh, my source for this episode was Gerald Brittle's book, The Demonologist, which was the only source I found on the case. So that, that's it. It does have pictures from the haunting as well. I showed them to you last time. I did not bring the book this time. But, you know, if you guys want to see them, they're there. I got it from the library. So they're there. Go look it up your fucking self. Go see it. I, eventually, maybe I'll put some on, on Instagram, but it's not going to be today, guys. It's not Sorry. today. <laughs> I will get caught up. I will get caught up. I promise. I don't know when. It may be 2025. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> That's anyway. all right. Uh, so I do recommend reading the book. You can see the pictures there. We've already talked about how you don't know the case, so I don't have to ask you that. Um, I think that's it. Do you have anything else you want to talk about before we go? I don't think so. No. I think let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's okay. jump in. All right. In 1973, 18-year-old Vicki Beckford was bored, lonely, and in need of an adventure. Her parents were religious and strict on Vicky and her 14-year-old brother, Eric. Uh, Vicky didn't have a lot of friends, and one night she decided she was going to play around on the Ouija board alone. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she started out asking questions. Is anyone there? My name is Vicky. I put Lewis, so I'm not sure if it's Lewis or Louise uh, Beckford. Is there a spirit who can hear me? The planchette slid over to yes, and Vicky began contacting the spirit nightly. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she would spend hours on the Ouija board conversing with this newfound friend. I wonder what I would do at that age, though. Like, now I would 18. just probably just get up and run out of the fucking room. But No, you wouldn't. At... <laughs> Maybe not. But... You'd be like, hold on, I got to call somebody. <laughs> Stay right there. Don't leave yet, don't, ghost. Don't, don't leave yet. Don't worry about <laughs> Gonna get a whole party over here. Oh my gosh. But at that age, I mean, you would, oh man. That's crazy. I don't know if I would have been terrified. I know. Or that's curious. what I'm like. Uh huh. I feel like at that age, I would have been even more curious. You feel so much more invincible at that age. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, so this spirit would regularly compliment Vicky 
uh, telling her how beautiful she looked in the dress she wore that day or how pretty she was compared to other girls, I guess like to her friends and stuff. Um, it would tell her how happy she made it and how it would love to marry her if it could. Shit, that's a lot of letters. That's a lot of letters. I feel like you have to start writing it down. Hold on, wait a minute. I was like, like, I'm done reading this. Goodbye. I can't. It's too much. When you can talk to me, then give me a call. Right. Um, <laughs> I guess it's not that bad. People text now, but like one letter at a time, though. You'd be like, I know, oh, on the week. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> then it wouldn't have been so bad, I guess, because... You know, they didn't have anything then. 77 or 73. They're like texting. What's that word mean? Right, right. Um, so I said, uh, I think we can all understand that that whole uh, falling in love with her little spirit because I can't be the only person that wanted to marry Casper. <laughs> oh, my God. It, Don't even. It was probably mostly because he turned into Devon Sawa at the end of the movie, but that's besides the point. Oh, my 13-year-old <laughs> self was like, please marry me. <laughs> I just oh. want my house to be haunted and I want the ghost to turn into Devon Sawa. Please. Gosh, he was so delicious. He was so dreamy. Oh. <laughs> and then Idle Hands, which we just watched. We just watched. So and he good. was a then he was a man he in was that man. movie. He was he was yes, he's and he's he's on Twitter. You can still follow him on Twitter. He's pretty great. Well That's if you'd like time. to come on this show, I mean I guess we can make room for you. Sure, maybe. <laughs> we might have, have room on our schedule for that. <laughs> we promise not to fangirl too much. Lies. Lies. Definitely a lies. Lie. There will absolutely be high pitched screaming. Sorry. <laughs> I'll be throwing myself on this table. <laughs> Guys, I'm doing this week's podcast by myself because Holly was arrested. Um, <laughs> turns out you cannot grab a hold of Devon Sawa and not let go. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. I would be I would be with her. I don't know. I would also. She's like, I was holding not. his arms. We back. would not assault you if you came on the podcast, we promise. Um <laughs> anyway. So the spirit would tell Vicky how lucky she was to be alive and ask questions about what it was like to to be alive that day. Uh, she would tell the spirit the details of her day and launch into a series of her own questions. The spirit told stories about its death and confided in Vicky how lonely it had been until she found it. <clears throat> Vicky was led to believe that the spirit was that of a teenage boy who had died when Vicky was young. When asked for its name, the spirit told Vicky that it couldn't reveal its name to a living person or it would be, quote, forced to return to the mists. Oh. Uh, Vicky thought of the spirit as her boyfriend. This is amazing. (laughs) Of course she did. Of course she did. Of course she did. I want a ghost boyfriend. You don't. Oh. It's not going to be fun. Spoiler alert! Much longer. (laughs) (laughs) It seems lovely. Like Casper, it's not. It's not. It's not Devon Sawa at the end. Oh, uh, sadly for Vicky. Um, so as a sort of reward, the spirit predicted small future events for her that she would see happen. These things were com- were coming true, and so Vicky was young and naive, and she believed this was proof that the spirit was honest and truthful. Um, now this went on for a year. Oh my gosh! Right, talk about grooming, Jesus. Uh, and in the last week of February 1974, now 18-year-old Vicky. Did I, say, I think I said 18 before. Mm-hmm. Maybe. So I think she was 17. And okay. She's 18. That's what we're going to go with. Or I could be wrong and she was 18 and now 19, but whatever. Anyway. Uh, so she asked her boyfriend to tell her what the future, what her future held. 
He outlined the next six years of Vicky's life, going so far as to give her the date of birth of her first child. Whoa. He said she would have three children by 1978. Now, all of this information would later turn out to be correct. <clears throat> Vicky grew increasingly curious, and she wanted desperately to see her boyfriend. Can you imagine being that age and having this person that you are like, you're talking person. to them. You're it's talking, a, to, you're talking to someone. Yeah. They're real. You're in love. I mean, it's, I guess it's like, you know, when we were kids on the fucking internet, got, got right. and you're talking to people and you're like, oh, he's so dreamy. And it turns out he's actually fucking 40, pretending like right. he's 17. Or he's so dreamy. I never even see what he looks like. I just talk to him on here. Yeah, you're just like, he must be so hot. I bet he is. I bet he's mm-hmm. the hottest guy ever. He's not. He's not. He never is. Um, <clears throat> on March 2nd, she begged him to manifest so she could see him. Apparently he didn't that night. And the next day, Vicky's 50-year-old father, Pete Beckford, went out to start his car, but it wouldn't start. He lifted the hood and he found that the spark plug wires were pulled out, the rubber hoses were disconnected, and the fan belt was cut. A little bit later, Vicky tried to start her car and it also wouldn't start. Uh, it was towed to a local garage where mechanics discovered that internal engine parts had been disassembled. What? Now, those weren't the only strange events at the Beckford house that week. I know you're surprised. The back doorbell was torn out of its housing. Shrubs were yanked out of the ground, roots included. Oh, my God. And a six-foot cast iron pipe that held electrical wires, like, it looked like it was on the roof, was inexplicably bent at a 90-degree angle. Whoa. Uh, Vicky's car got two flat tires on Friday, March 8th, and then another one on Saturday the 9th, though this time it appeared like it had been cut with a knife. Bye! Right. But I mean, I'm sure she's not thinking that has anything to do with her boyfriend. (sighs) Meanwhile, Vicky's boyfriend had gone radio silent. She would attempt to contact him, but the planchette would simply, simply glide to goodbye. Oh my. (laughs) Poor little broken hearted thing. Fucking car tires are going flat. Right. Now you got to go tell your dad that your ghost boyfriend did it all. Right. And you're (laughs) crying because he's just saying goodbye to you. Fuck. Um, so Vicky, again, young and naive, didn't connect the dots between all of these things. <clears throat> now, the second week in March, Peter Beckford, I was calling him Pete, before, his name is Peter, but apparently I went back and forth. Uh, Peter Beckford contacted police about the damage happening to the Beckford home and cars. They came to the house and Peter did a walkthrough of the vandalism. Police assured Mr. Beckford that they would do night patrols and keep close watch over the home. It was that same week that the Beckfords began to understand that this wasn't just some neighborhood kids fucking around. One evening, Peter and his wife Sharon were sitting in the kitchen with Eric trying to determine if these acts of vandalism could be due to a disagreement at school or with one of his friends when the three heard something crash into a wall inside of the house. As they looked for the source of the sound, they found an 18-inch hole in the wall of Eric's room. Oh, my God. The most upsetting part, the jagged edges of the hole were pointed inward, meaning that the force had come from inside Eric's room. Nope. Um, they found no source that would have created the hole, but that night the Beckford family heard scratching sounds coming from inside the walls. I think that should probably be your clue right there. That's mm. like a tell, you right. know that's what that is. Yep. I would imagine even in 73, you know what that is. Um, so Pete also heard what he thought sounded like a board being pried loose. And in the middle of the night, he checked the house from top to bottom, but he found nothing out of place. The noises, however, continued for the rest of the week. 
Now, at this point, because of the three fat t- flat tires on Vicky's car, Peter purchased her a brand new set of tires. On Tuesday, March 19th, while in the locked garage, one of these new tires went flat with the appearance of being slit with a knife. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that takes us to the third week of March, and it was then that things intensified. At night, something would loudly pound on the outside of the house in, in series of three. No. Nope. Bye. Uh, the hits were so hard that they shook the entire house. Nope. And where's the police at this time? Uh, not at their house, I guess. Okay, right. I'm like, they're just not there, or they right. can't hear I it? I said they were or... doing patrols, so yeah, okay. probably just driving around, having no clue what's happening inside the house, I guess. Because what are they... I mean, they're not going to hear all that. Right. Um, Peter and Eric went out to investigate numerous times, but they never found a source. There was knocking on the walls inside the house that grew to the sound of an adult beating on the walls. So someone just, like, really pounding on the walls. And these sounds were now happening all day and all night, not just at nighttime. Around midnight, the sounds of boards being torn off the house would kick in. No. The pressure valves on the steam radiators unscrewed, sending hot water onto the walls and carpets. Holy crap. Pete replaced the radiator cylinders, but every few hours the same thing would happen until he finally turned off the heat in the basement. Fuck no. Nope. I would have been gone such a long time ago. Right. Pete finally called a plumber and a furnace repairman in hopes of restoring some peace to his home. Because, you know, that's definitely what radiators do when they go back. Yep. They just shoot the, what did I call it, the covers off. Uh, so during the fourth week of March, the furniture repairman came and he reported that the furnace was working exactly as it should be. After spending around 19 hours in the house trying to stop the pounding sounds, he eventually told Pete and Sharon that the sounds weren't coming from the furnace. That was probably a big fucking bill. And he could hear the sounds? <laughs> right. I guess he was just running. I guess he heard them, but was just running around, like, trying to figure out what they were coming from. And was like, this is not your furnace. I don't know what to tell you. Um, the next day, the plumber came to examine the radiators. He tested for pressure leaks, but found nothing wrong with the radiators. He replaced the old valves as a precaution, but as soon as he would walk away, the new pieces would be on the floor. After this happened a few times, he put the old pieces back and told Sharon, lady, you got yourself a problem. <laughs> I'm out. I cannot help you. I'm that guy. <laughs> Bye. <clears throat> now that week, another of Vicky's tires was slashed, again while the car was in the locked garage. Of course, the pounding on the walls was ever growing louder and more violent. By now, pictures and decorations were even flying off the walls from the force. No. No. The Beckfords were doing their best to avoid the house as much as possible. Going out to dinner, walking around aimlessly in stores, going to the movies, anything they could. Get me the fuck out of here. On Sunday, March 31st, Vicky got her sixth flat tire. Stop buying new tires. Right? What are you going to do? You got to go to work and stuff, right? Now that night, the entire family was in Pete and Sharon's room watching TV. I'm guessing because no one fucking wanted to be alone in this goddamn house. They're all Can like, I please no. sleep in your bed? She's like, you're 19. I know I'm sleeping in yeah, your bed. I'm going to sleep right here next to you, mommy. Um, so they're watching TV. The lights went off, off and on three times in a row. And then the TV went dead. This was followed by the heavy wooden dresser levitating a few inches off the ground. Now, this dresser was six feet long and weighed around 250 pounds, according to the demonologist, and it was violently shaking back and forth. Nope. That would be me in the background screaming bloody <laughs> murder. You absolutely. <laughs> as soon as the lights started going, I would just be like, ah! 
Absolutely. You absolutely would be. And then everybody would be screaming and wouldn't be able to get anywhere because everybody's screaming. <laughs> everybody would be screaming. Ah! Uh, uh, so perfume bottles crashed to the floor. Then the drawer was set down. I mean, excuse me, the dresser was set down and then a drawer slid open. It sat open for a second before violently slamming shut. And then the rest of the drawers did the same thing. So the family just watched helplessly as more and more activity happened. The drawers stopped opening and closing, and then a heavy chair full of uh, folded clothes lifted three feet into the air and tilted, dumping the clothes on the floor, and then dropped on top of them. That would be the part probably where I would just lose my shit and start screaming like, I just folded all those fucking clothes. God damn it! I don't know who you think you are to be throwing the clothes in my house, but get out. Get out. And then, you know, I'd probably die or something. I don't know, but... Pictures lifted off the wall and floated in a circle around the room. No. Nope. nope. Uh, it wasn't until Sharon cried out, my God, what have we done to deserve this? That the activity ceased. The bed collapsed beneath Peter and Sharon. The pictures dropped to the floor and the house was silent. No. No. I would be like, <laughs> Nope. Uh, this family... Instead of doing that, they just cleaned up the mess and they tried to go to sleep. Are you fucking kidding? I think never underestimate the power of the human brain to go, that didn't happen. I didn't. Yeah. Not all of us just saw that. That Good night. Go get in your own fucking bed. No. We obviously imagined that. (laughs) Uh, As soon as the lights were off, though, the sound started up again. Now, this time they heard a kitten crying. Oh. Then a baby crying. Then ripping and tearing sounds. Then the sounds like the house was being taken apart. Oh my goodness gracious. The the pounding sounds started outside the house and then moved to the inside walls. This stopped and what sounded like a hammer started beating on Peter and Sharon's fucking headboard. Can you imagine if you're laying in your bed and you just hear a fucking hammer pounding above your head? Nope, nope, nope. Whatever you want, the house is fucking yours. I'm out. No, 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 no. It's all yours. Please don't follow me. Bye. I'm going. Not that that the house is. Right. I don't even know how they're still there now. So I'm definitely leaving. Um, The couple jumped out of bed. But of course, the noise didn't stop. Peter heard what sounded like furniture falling over in the living room. And as he headed that way to investigate, he heard Vicky's terrified scream. Vicky told her dad, something was here. Something was in this room with me. <laughs> what? What? I have nothing. <laughs> We're like, <laughs> nope. And you know, like, I, everybody believes you at that point. You've all been fucking seeing it. Right. But you can't tell anybody else. No one else is going to fucking believe. It's not like if you walk outside and tell your neighbor, they're going to go, oh my God, that's terrible. They're going to be like, okay. And they're going to back away from you very slowly and be like, great. I just realized they have to pee. And then just run inside their house and lock the door. Don't talk to the neighbors. They're fucking crazy. Stay away from those fucking kids next door. So, I mean, what are you going to do? Even if you all believe it. Right. On April 1st, literal rocks rained from the sky, hitting the roof before rolling onto the lawn and even breaking a window. Sharon called Peter at work, who told her to call the police, and he'd come home. When he got there, the police were standing there watching the rocks fall from the sky. So supposedly the police saw this too. He asked what he should do, and the police told him, 
call a priest. Right. That's what I was wondering. Like, if it's not raining rocks and the police get there and you literally say, so just to, you see those rocks just a few minutes ago, they were raining from the sky. They'd be like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Sure. They wouldn't tell you to call a priest. Mm-hmm. They'd tell you to call the nut house. Mm-hmm. So if they really told him to call the priest, then maybe that means it's true. Yeah. Uh, to Peter, this was apparently a silly suggestion since he didn't see anything religious about what was happening in the Beckford home because why would he fucking see anything religious <laughs> about the most religious thing that could be fucking happening in your house right now aside from the second coming of Jesus? <laughs> right? Right. I'm like, what? Okay. It's nothing religious. Sure. Uh, it's raining rocks. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's clearly activity happening in your house yep. that's religious. <laughs> It's not scientific. That's for, for sure. sure. Um, <clears throat> lost my spot. Oh, he stayed home the rest of the day, and unsurprisingly, the activity continued. Items levitated before being dropped or slammed into walls. Uh, the Beckfords were really just trying to stay safe, as it seemed like the items were being thrown at them sometimes. By the next morning, Peter didn't really have a choice but to take the officer's advice because he didn't know what else to do. Uh, He was Roman Catholic, so he called the local Catholic church and told the priest on duty what was happening in his home. The priest took down the address and promised to be there within the hour. As soon as the priest arrived, the activity stopped. Peter gave the man a tour of the wrecked house, and the priest told him someone in the house was clearly disturbed and to call a psychiatrist. Uh, He's like, um, it's not. It was like, great. Uh, Then the priest left, and the activity started up again. Peter went into work late that day, exhausted, confused, and unsure what the hell he's supposed to do. He decided to confide in his supervisor. Now, thankfully, this man believed Peter. But he didn't really know how to help, of course. Uh, He did remember the last name of a couple he'd heard on the radio. Ed and Lorraine Warren. Oh, shit. Here we go. Uh, He didn't have their number, but he did pass on the name. The supervisor also mentioned that he'd heard the Warrens say that sometimes only a blessed object placed in a home will stop strange activity. Peter took this as his next logical step. He had an 18-inch plaster statue of St. Anne in the basement, and he unpacked it that night. When he brought it upstairs, he heard a commotion in the basement. He ran back down only to find the rec room furniture floating through the air and the laundry room soaps and detergents levitating and spilling on the floor. Oh, what the hell? Uh, disheartened he went back upstairs to find that the statue was missing no it was a trick (laughs) he would later find it next to the toilet i guess it was trying to hide it or something uh that night shrieks were added to the cacophony of sounds in the beckford home Mm -mm. the next morning the statue had been hidden again this time under the covers in the spare bedroom there were also profanities written on Eric's bedroom door in pencil, described as the same filth you might encounter on a bathroom stall. Well, so. I guess your statue's not working. Pick something else. Right. <laughs> what? Right? Wasn't the statue supposed to make it stop? Wait, I was not... pissing it off. Yeah. Right. What, what do you think was on the, on the door of his room? You could see on a bathroom oh stall. Oh my gosh, it's so funny you say that. So oh, I went to Kentucky recently to visit my Gmail, and we stopped at a fucking... <laughs> truck stop i hate stopping at like the not the truck stop really like the rest one mm. of those whatever the, the rest, rest areas? areas are i just, i don't know maybe it's because true crime I'm like this is where people go to die like i'm not i don't want to go in here <laughs> and so we all go in there and in my stall i close the door you know i sit down and it literally says 
call for a fun time and it has a person's phone number on it. I was just like, holy shit. (laughs) 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 Fucking crazy. (laughs) I should have called Tip. You need to have, like, a random, like, burner phone where... You could have called it, and then it would have been, like, someone being, like, my fucking ex-husband, and then you'd have been, like, what's his name and number? Let's get him back. Let's get him. <laughs> um, yeah, I just was, like, what What was on What was on it? Was uh, it just, like... I would like it, to know the details. I mean, it's a, it's 73. Yeah. So a profanity in 73. I mean, I know that the words are the same, but you have to think, like, much lower things were probably considered much worse then. Oh, so, yeah. So, like, do you think it was, like, you know, I don't know, Sharon's a cunt? Or do you yeah. think it was, like... Call 555 for get your cock sucked. Right. I'm just, like, I don't... I wonder what was on those. <laughs> I know that's stupid, but that's hyper-focus, I guess. I don't know. Um... <clears throat> So Peter, of course, immediately thought Eric was behind it because some people are stupid and he just lost his shit at his son. Eric fucking cried. Peter realized that Eric wasn't responsible and he apologized. Um, Of course, the activity is still happening. Uh, It became impossible to sleep in the house and Peter finally decided he would have to move his family until they could figure out what to do. He still wasn't getting it, though, uh, telling himself maybe it was in their imaginations. If they left for a bit, it might stop. So the family gathered a few things and they went to a nearby motel. Unfortunately, the activity followed them. Weird. Strange. Uh, The lights turned themselves on and off. Pictures came off the walls and the sounds picked up as well. The next morning, the family got breakfast and returned to their motel room in disarray. Furniture had been tipped over. Drawers were pulled out. Sheets and clothes were thrown around the room. Even the mattresses and the box springs had been thrown around. What the? other guests had even complained about the beckford children knocking on the walls all night oh my so god other like, i didn't do it. it right peter took responsibility for everything and promised that it wouldn't happen again but of course it did and the beckfords were left with no choice so they returned to their home on april 6th when peter opened the door to the beckfords home the family was confronted with what sounds like it must have smelled like a fucking landfill Oh, no. Uh, anyone that's driven through Maryland Heights knows what I'm fucking talking oh, about. Oh, man. <laughs> you got a hot day. Every time you're in the car with your kids and they're like, Mom, did you fart? Right. What no. that smell? It's a damn landfill. Yeah. If I'd have done it, I'd have told you guys I did it. <laughs> would have locked the window. You'd have heard me. It wasn't me. Um, the rugs and the beds were soaked with spilled food, cleaning products, liquor, shoe polish, and perfumes. Ew. Oh, gosh. Uh, Towels had been stuffed in the toilets. The furniture was tipped over and some was broken. Red ink had been used to write what are described as, quote, truly demented blasphemies. What are the blasphemies? This is what I'm saying. Can you guys just tell me? I just need to know. I'm just nosy. That's it. I won't tell anybody. Uh, The family spent the rest of the day cleaning the mess up. Now, Ed Warren described this kind of attack on someone's home as an attempt to get the family to become emotional and lose their shit. Uh, he worded it a little differently, but mm-hmm. that's what he meant. Uh, so this is part of the process of breaking the person down. On April 7th, which was Palm Sunday, Peter's brother Terry brought his family over for dinner. Sharon and Peter explained to Terry the events that had been taking place in their home, but the spirits remained silent through dinner. Terry's response was to say there must have been a rational explanation for what had happened, because, of course, sure, what everyone right. says. Uh, after dinner, the family went down to the recreation room, where Terry shared slides of his family's recent, recent vacation. Which is, I guess, what they used to do. Uh, included in these slides were pictures of Holy Land, a tourist attraction. 
One such slide showcased crosses, statues, and shrines, and when it popped up, Vicky was quickly on her feet pointing to the wall of the basement. Water was flowing from the wall. Oh my gosh. Then the lights went out and came back on, followed by the familiar pounding sounds coming from upstairs. Oh. So it did a real good job They're being like, quiet that? until they pissed it off. Terry and Peter followed the noise, but each time they got close, it would hop to a different location. Then the sound of hammers hitting the roof began. The house was vibrating. Pictures fell from the walls. Terry's family was horrified. And Peter insisted that Terry get his family out of the house. Uh, I put he told his brother, but I'm assuming I meant Terry. There's no, said there's nothing natu- natural about this. You better go find another priest who will listen to you. So Yeah. You don't so, have to ask me to leave. I'm fucking out of here. Right. I was leaving anyway, but yep. good luck. Uh, so the activity continued that night and the Beckford family was at each other's throats. They were shouting at each other and threatening each other. Peter couldn't take it and broke into tears, yelling at everyone to stop. Eric and Sharon both began crying as well, but Vicky just went in her room and locked the door. The next day, Peter was pale and exhausted. He'd used up his sick days dealing with the madness in his home, and he still didn't know how to get help. Oh my God. As he stood at his kitchen window at a total loss for what to do next, he saw the large cross atop the monastery retreat house next door. Of course, the monks would have an answer. After breakfast, Peter went to the monastery and explained the situation, asking the monk if he could come see what was happening. The monk agreed and followed Peter to his home. He witnessed the activity and told Peter that he believed this was the work of a spirit or spirits. Peter agreed, and then the monk finally gave Peter the answer that he'd been seeking. He said, let me give you the name of someone who may be able to help you sort this thing out. His name is Ed Warren. Well, would you look at that? So he already had the names. He just... Didn't, didn't have know how to, how to what to do with it. Yeah. yeah. And if he's got the name, but not, you know, an mm-hmm. area. Right. It's not like we have Google. Mm-hmm. You have to find it in the phone book. And if you don't right. know if they live in the area or whatever else, you know, what are you looking for? Or they may be unlisted. If you could do that back then. Right. Uh, back at the retreat house, the monk got Ed and Lorraine's number for Peter, and he suggested he contact them as soon as possible. Yeah. 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 Hopefully... Peter was like, right no now. shit, yeah, Sherlock. I'm going to go, go call, call right, right now. Thanks. Uh, later that morning, Peter called the Warrens from work and spoke with someone we talk about a little in either last week's, I think last week's episode, uh, as you guys are hearing this. Uh, her name is Judith Penny. Uh, Judith told Peter that the Warrens were currently out west, but she would pass along the message. She told him to call back on Saturday as Ed and Lorraine would be home by then. That was five days away. Oh my gosh. I'd be like, ma'am, five days. But I mean, what are they going to do? Right. What else are they going to do? She can't call them on their cell phone. Can't call me on my cell phone. <laughs> so that entire week, rocks rained on the Beckford home each day from dawn to dusk. Sometimes they fell slowly with time in between. Sometimes they would come in a downpour. Some would hit the ground and vanish. Others would lie there waiting for the family to clean them up. Oh my. And that wasn't all. Crucifixes were turned upside down, pictures of saints were destroyed, and the statue of St. Anne was constantly being hidden. Oh, my God. Got jokes. This right? This ghost got jokes. Right? <laughs> ha, ha, very funny. Give me this fucking statue and leave me alone. Uh, there was even an occasion where Eric's mattress had been moved under the bed frame and the box spring had been propped up against the wall covering a framed picture of Jesus. That actually reminded me when we moved into our old house. So I bought a house uh, in North County um, when I was 21. My mom lived there with me. And in the, I think it was the bathroom. There, They had these like big 
light plate covers. Yeah. Like like big, like not like a normal one. And there were fucking pictures of Jesus <laughs> inside of them. And I was like, what the fuck is all this? Jesus is great. Get it off my wall. Get this out of go. here. No, no, right now. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we gave it to my sister-in-law for her because her mom was really religious. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we gave it to her. I'm not positive, but I think so. Anyway. Um, I don't know why that reminded me of it. It just did. So I love brains. I know, right? Mine's a lot of fun. It's great to be in here. Uh, so a couple of times the family heard a long, sad moan from the kitchen and entered the room to find the refrigerator pulled away from the wall so that the power cord was like pulled taut. When Peter went to take food out of the deep freezer, he found the big iron blacksmith's anvil from the garage inside of it. Oh. Later, he found that his huge steel toolbox had been moved to the attic. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, there was also now a physical presence in the house. What? The family could feel someone watching them. They would hear footsteps, heavy breathing, and rustling behind them. Once, Sharon even saw a black form behind her when she turned quickly. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to do now? Where are you going to go? You know you can't go anywhere. You're just fucking waiting for the warrants. I'm just going to shit my pants every day. Right? <laughs> Uh, Good Friday, April 12th, was the worst day. I guess, you know, because the religious connection to the date. The demonologist describes it as the house feeling like it might suddenly explode if the activity didn't cease or at least slow down. The feeling in the house was so overwhelmingly dreadful that no one risked being alone there. The Beckfords sat in abject fear waiting for the Warrens and hoping they would be able to save the day. This was the day that the Warrens returned home from a 10-day speaking tour. They were looking forward to celebrating Easter Sunday with family before heading out on another work trip. Well, guess not. It was noon on Saturday when Peter Beckford called and spoke with Lorraine. Lorraine could hear the fear and desperation in his voice, I would imagine. Uh, Peter filled her in on all that had transpired and begged for the Warren's help, offering to pay any amount if they could just make it stop. Uh, At first, Lorraine was skeptical. But by the time Peter had finished with the entire story, she was convinced that his home was under diabolical attack. She told Peter that they would come to the house the following day as Ed was working on another case that day. Peter agreed, figuring they lasted this long. It was one more day. The following afternoon, the Warrens arrived at the Beckford home. As they made their way through the trash rooms of the house, Lorraine kept quiet, though she sensed so many terrifyingly threatening entities in the house that it took work for her to keep from walking right back out the door. Oh my goodness. She felt that the worst was yet to come. Yikes. (laughs) Great. So if you could help me with that. (laughs) Great. Please don't walk back out the door. Um, The Warrens were introduced to the family and they were given the laundry list of incidents that happened in each room. The family was interviewed and the Warrens began asking questions to ascertain what could have caused such an attack. Do you know what could have caused this problem in your house? When did you notice the first occurrence of unusual activity? Has anyone in the neighborhood or your immediate family recently passed away? Perhaps someone you didn't get along with very well? Is anyone in the family seeing a psychiatrist? Did you purchase an antique or secondhand piece of furniture from a tag sale, say, before the ruckus began? Has anyone in the family bought or received an unusual gift or figurine from abroad? Carved statues, a Haitian voodoo doll, a picture of a deity from another religion? While they asked questions, the knocking started. Now, of course, this didn't stop the Warrens. They continued with more specific questions. Are you people interested in the occult as a pastime? Have you been attending sessions with consciousness raising groups? Has anyone bought or withdrawn from the library books on Satanism or witchcraft rituals? To your knowledge, has a seance ever been held in this house even years ago? 
Eric, Vicky, are any of your friends interested in the cult who maybe perform rituals or ceremonial magic? To every question, the answer was no until Ed finally got to the right question. Has anyone here used a Ouija board or an automatic writing device? Ooh. Oh. Vicky whispered. Vicky <sighs> admitted that she had used a Ouija board and Lorraine told her they needed the whole story. God damn it, Vicky! Right? Vicky, fuck! <sighs> Can you fucking imagine that poor little girl having she's to tell like, her? Shit. I say little girl, she's a teenager, but having to tell her family she brought all this shit into their damn house. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Nope. Vicky still, I have 18 here again, so I'm going to assume she was 18 at this point. Still 18 and naive, defended her boyfriend, saying he wasn't destructive or hurtful, but he was kind and compassionate. She said he'd accurately accurately predicted the future, not understanding that that's not a sign of a human spirit, <laughs> but right. rather of an inhuman spirit. Lorraine asked if he'd told Vicky his name, and Vicky reiterated what he'd told her, that he couldn't. Lorraine asked if the two were still communicating, and Vicky replied sadly that she must have done something wrong because he'd stopped talking to her after she asked him to show himself to her. Lorraine asked when that was, and Vicky said March 2nd, the night before the activity started. Bing, bing, bing. Dun, dun, dun. Now, Ed was left to explain to the family the ins and outs of demons and demonic activity. When he was done, Peter asked how in the world he knew all of this. Ed told him, Mr. Beckford, this is my work. I have done it all my life. I'm a demonologist. Ed and Lorraine excused themselves to the front lawn where they discussed next steps. They agreed that this case was far worse than they'd expected and in fact was reaching very dangerous levels. The Warrens knew that the best and quickest solution was to involve the church. They quickly contacted a trusted priest who arrived a few hours later. By then, the activity had picked up again, and the first thing the priest did was perform a blessing in each room to reduce the power and frequency of the pounding. I'm sure this was to give them some quiet so they could fucking focus. Now, after this was done, they gave the priest the rundown of the happenings in the Beckford house. The Warrens were headed to Vermont that night, but the priest would stay. Ed warned him that he should not challenge the spirits and that he was in extreme danger, both mentally and physically, while he was in the house. Ed told the priest not to try to solve the problem alone, gave him a number where he could reach the Warrens, and told him to use his rosary, not his temper. With that, they headed for the airport. Oh my gosh. Okay, see you later. Right. Good luck. I got this other fucked up ghost I gotta go do first. You gotta wait in line. Right. Well, I mean, I'm guessing they were going to spend time with our family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the plan was for them to remain in near constant contact and to come back immediately if they were needed. As the days passed, every time the priest asked for anything, the object would float over to him, sometimes before he asked. So this is described like they were taunting him. Yeah. Uh, like they were saying, I'm still here. You don't have any power here. On Thursday, April 18th, the Warrens returned. So, they, so it wasn't just Easter. You know, they were gone for a, a bit. And the priest headed back to the rectory to get a break from the onslaught of demon, demonic activity. He reported to his superior in the case, telling the man that an exorcism may need to be performed. At this point, it was the Warrens' turn to stay in the Beckford home and witness the activity. The children were sleeping in their parents' room, so Ed and Lorraine slept in Eric's room. As usual, when everyone was in bed, the sounds kicked up. There was grunting and screaming and ripping and tearing and boards being pulled and pounding on the walls. Eventually, the house was shaking from the force, and Ed wasn't totally sure the house could withstand it. Oh my gosh. This went on for about an hour before shouts erupted from Peter and Sharon's room. When Ed got to the room, the family was visibly upset and said a black figure had been moving through the room. Ed had had enough. He sent Eric to his room with Lorraine and had the rest of the family sit on the parents' bed. He then demanded that the spirit tell him its name. The bed rose two feet off the ground with the family still on it. 
and the dresser moved across the room like it was on rollers. The dresser smashed into the wall and the bed fell crashing to the floor. In Eric's room, the boy was sobbing quietly. Lorraine looked over to comfort him and saw that he was levitating about two feet above the bed. He was then hurled five feet across against the far wall and he fell to the floor. The rest of the group came running into the room and Lorraine came. Oh, excuse me. I put the rest of the group came running into the room and Lorraine came running into the room. Well, they were in two different rooms, right? Because she's in another room with Ed and then everyone else. No, she else. was in she was in his in his room with Eric's room with him. Oh, okay. So I don't know what I don't know what I was supposed to say there what she did, but she did something. Okay. Uh, Eric hadn't broken anything, but his face and chest were swollen and bruised. The next morning, Friday, April 19th, a foot-long walnut crucifix from Peter and Sharon's bedroom was found outside. It had been thrown out of a window. Obscenities were written in red ink on uh, Peter and Sharon's bedroom ceiling. Wallpaper began peeling off the walls, revealing more obscenities written in red ink. <laughs> All uh, p- pictures were moving on their own and spontaneously combusting, along with uh, doilies, towels, and scars, which would then appear to fling themselves at someone. <laughs> what the hell? The activity continued through the weekend. Heavy recliners in the rec room floated around the room and were dropped in piles in what was described as sexual postures. What? A recliner? Yeah, I don't really know what that... All right. I'm not really picking up what they're putting down there, but... Uh, The rest of the furniture floated to the same spot, dropping into the same pile. Fires even started showing up all around. Uh, Excuse me. Sunday, when the priest returned, it was clear that an exorcism would be the only way. Because the exorcist had recently been released, the priest had been told to have documented evidence to request an exorcism. I guess people were requesting these all the time because of the movie or something. Uh, luckily for the priest, he was working with the Warrens, so they'd already started putting the evidence together. Right, they're like, we got you. Uh, the Warrens had to travel to upstate New York, so once again, the priest would be left alone to help the family. The spirit was dumping out Peter's expensive ulcer medicine into the toilet each day until Peter couldn't afford to have the script renewed. Also. Oh my gosh. What a dick. Uh, an interesting note on this particular case is that Ed spoke about people asking why God allows something like this to happen. Ed states that God doesn't allow this to happen. People do. He said demons have to play by God's rules, which is why they're so devious. They have to find ways around. But people also have to follow the rules. If they don't, they're on their own. Ed said demons can't make you do something against your will, but they can tempt you and influence you to do it at once. So, you know, by Vicky saying, hey, you're welcome here. I'm talking to it. Show yourself to me. All that stuff. You know, she's inviting it in. Oh, absolutely. Which is against the rules. So I just thought that was an interesting note. Oh, Absolutely. Um, the, and the book talks a lot about like different things and how they work and it explains a lot of different things. So it's very, very interesting. I do. I, again, if you are a reader, read it. It's good. Um, and based on all the activity in the home, Ed determined that there were not only a number of demonic spirits, spirits in the home, but also something bigger on Tuesday, April 23rd, while the priest was on the telephone, he saw rosary beads float out of the room he was staying in. They went down a hallway and into the kitchen where they wrapped around one of the chairs, like it was being strangled. Ed told the priest that this was the time to get the family out of the house and wait for Ed and Lorraine to get back on Thursday. The family and priest left the house, but of course the incidents followed the Beckford family who went to stay with Peter's parents. Objects were levitated, pictures came off the walls, knocking sounds were everywhere, and bathroom faucets and plumbing fixtures were yanked off the walls. But why don't you just go back to your own house and just have all the damage just be at one house? Right. I don't know why Ed told them that. That seems strange. You'd think he would know better. Right. But uh, Maybe because the... 
They've... Maybe it takes time for it to build up in a new place. Okay. Maybe. Except for, I don't know. It seems like it built up pretty yeah, well there. So I don't good. know. <laughs> and it went to the hotel right away. The right, motel right. right away. Um, the priest had also been followed by a spirit. First, he saw a black cylindrical form blocking his way in the hallway outside of his room. It sat in the hall, keeping him locked in his room. Uh, on Thursday, April 25th, Ed and Lorraine returned. They met with the priest, but couldn't get in touch with the family. They went to the home and Ed entered first. The whole interior of the house had been vandalized. It smelled wretched. Everything liquid had been dumped onto the floor and left to rot. Mm. Beds were flipped. Drawers were pulled out. The contents of the fridge and pantry were on a pile on the floor. Yikes. Now, Ed so this tried... Is costing them tons of money. Tons of money. I mean, just the medicine alone. Uh-huh. And the flat tires. Right. Jesus. A bunch of tires. Um... I tried to ex- exit the house, but it began to shake like it was in the middle of a giant earthquake. Outside, Lorraine realized something wasn't right. She and the priest ran to the front door and saw Ed walking through the living room looking dazed. His shirt was covered with blood. They got him outside and saw that he had two long, deep slashes in his left arm that formed a cross. Oh. Like every man ever, Ed refused to see a doctor, but he at least allowed them to wash and bandage the wound. Oh, so cool. Thanks. There is that. Um, Ed explained these slashes had been cut into the walls and drapes and that he thought they were directed at him for challenging the spirit. Had also been cut into the walls and drapes. Uh, Around noon that day, the exhausted Beckford family returned to find their home in a terrible state. They were anguished at what was happening. Together with the Warrens and the priest, the house was pulled back together by the best of everyone's ability. On Friday, Ed and Father Daniel, which is the name of the priest... Uh, took care of the paperwork to request an exorcism. This process normally could take up to a week, but it was clear that it would need to be expedited. When Father Daniel left to take the paperwork to his superior, the Warrens remained with the Beckfords. They knew the family was so worn down that it was necessary to stay vigilant to keep a possession from occurring. Over that weekend, metal picture frames caught fire, scarves, linens, and dresses. I already read this part to you, I think, but maybe I didn't. Maybe it was just happening again. Uh, Scarves, linens, dresses, and towels also caught fire and then flung themselves onto people in the house. Furniture was moved. Oh my gosh! Right? Fucking crazy. Just fucking clothes on fire flying through the air chasing you? No. No thanks. Um, Furniture was moved. Everything continued. Saturday night, Ed told the Beckfords about his car, how economical it was. The next morning, he found that the directional signal had been snapped off and tossed on the seat. The car wouldn't start, so he checked under the hood to find that the spark plug wires had been tied in knots and the what carburetor's the vacuum hoses had been pulled loose and left dangling. Sunday, Father Daniel called and told the family that the exorcism had been approved. Now, as we mentioned before, the priest needed three full days of prayer and fasting before the ritual could be performed. That meant the ritual would take place that Thursday, May 2nd. Of course, this really pissed off the entities in the house. Things intensified again. Movements happened faster. Two radiator covers vanished into thin air. A few seconds later, they crashed onto the basement steps. Uh, Later that night, there was a ruckus in Vicky's room, and Lorraine didn't find any cause, but when she tried to leave the room, she tripped over a 16-foot aluminum extension ladder that had been leaned against the garage before. Oh, my goodness. Shit. (laughs) What the hell? Pissed. Uh... On Monday, Lorraine was in Eric's room and heard a hinge pin drop to the floor. She looked at the door and saw the other one slide up and fall to the floor. A second later, the door disappeared. The same happened to the closet door. A few minutes later, both doors were found thrown in the basement. <sighs> Ooh. Terrible. No doors. Ooh. <laughs> All day Tuesday and Wednesday, nighttime sleep was impossible. By Wednesday night, everyone slept in shifts and took turns patrolling the house looking for fires or other dangers. 
At around 10.30 that night, Lorraine was in the hall when the living room doorway began to glow. Within a few minutes, the entire doorway was so bright and intense that Lorraine couldn't look directly at it. She wondered if this was a positive sign, because demons and devils don't typically bring light with them. Peter and Ed were in the living room, so they say this too. So they saw this too, but they also saw a figure begin to emerge. The figure was that of an older woman from the waist up. Ed told her, speak to us, but she didn't respond. Lorraine knew immediately that this was an inhuman spirit pretending to be a ghost. She told her husband to back away from the inhuman thing, and two velvet chairs fell over and tumbled toward Ed. They rose into the air, legs pointed at Ed, and pinned him to the wall. Oh! Ed made the sign of the cross over the chairs, causing the spirit to drop them. Moments after, a bottle of nail polish flew across the room and barely missed Ed's forehead. Oh, my God. That would have fucking hurt. Right. <laughs> the Beckfords and Warrens went to an 8 a.m. mass the following morning before returning to the home to wait for the exorcist. He arrived at 9.30 a.m. Ed explained to the man that he felt that an incubus spirit was present along with lower hu- inhuman spirits. He believed that was the cause of their unusual strength, was this incubus spirit. The exorcist confronted Vicky over bringing this activity into her home before beginning the exorcism. Um, it took an hour. At the end, he commanded the spirit to give it its name and leave the home. When nothing happened, he told it that it wasn't disobeying men, but God. He also told it to give some sign and then leave. It was then that it manifested by the fireplace. It had horns, cloven feet, and a tail. The room's temperature dropped to near freezing and the smell of rotting flesh filled the air gross delicious right was that necessary you already made the whole fucking house stink he's like yep yep um the priest told it once more to leave and it vanished but the blood red face of a devil appeared on the dirty beige carpet the exorcist flung holy water onto the spot and it faded the exorcist finished up with a concluding prayer of thanksgiving and ended with quote the sign of departure having been shown to us i commend the safety of these people the beckfords and their dwelling into your hands lord hear us and hear their prayers deign them to live in peace and contentment from this day forward in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit amen the diabolical attack on the beckford family lasted 60 days oh my gosh in ed's file according to the demonologist is a statement written by peter beckford's brother it reads quote I, nor anyone else in my family, have ever before witnessed or actually experienced anything so weird and terrifying. I am sure the impact of that obscure experience shall remain with my frightened children and wife indefinitely. The incomprehensible predicament that we have witnessed leaves our frightened family group in complete bewilderment. At least for the present time, it defies all rational and logical explanations. All the tangible evidence and facts related to the preternatural mysteriousness of those events witnessed by our family group should be laid bare and then rationally reviewed by competent people who are experienced in these weird and perplexing matters. When and if a review is completed, I firmly believe that the ultimate conclusions will eventually suggest that unearthly powers or influences were at work. Terrence Beckford. Oh, spooky, spooky. After the exorcism, the Beckford family's life returned to normal. The damage done to their property exceeded $5,000, which would be over $28,000 today. Oh, my goodness. As of 1980, when the book was written, the family still lived in the house. No! Absolutely not. No! (laughs) I'm not living in the house. Yeah. I can tell you that. And that is the story of the Beckford family haunting. Ooh! That's a fucking good one. That's That's fucked up. No. Nope. That would be so freaking hard. I can't even imagine. How did you sleep at all? Like, who just be constantly terrified, all sleeping in a ball. Right. Every night. How? uh, 
It would be scary enough just being there yourself and uh-huh. like your spouse. But yeah. your fucking kids? Yeah. No. <gasps> then again, if it was just you and your spouse, it probably wouldn't have fucking happened because your kid's an idiot. And- yeah, because it's your fucking kid. You're way too bored. Well, I mean, and, and, and your kid's an idiot. I mean, any any kid, that, and lots of people would have done that. I don't think she's an idiot. Oh, person. definitely. It was an idiotic thing to do. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Jokes with Holly. I don't own the rights to these jokes. <laughs> Why does it take 100 million sperm to fertilize one egg? I don't know why. Because they won't stop to ask for directions. <laughs> <laughs> But think about like evolution in general, and that's true. Why does it need to be a hundred million? You only need one that tells you that sperm are fucking stupid, right? You only need a few of them. We need a hundred million of them. Holy (laughs) shit! Overkill, much? My goodness! Right. When we did uh, fertility treatments, they talked about how many you need and how they like go through, and they they pull out the ones that are like swimming in circles. And I was like, please, yeah, please pull out the ones that are split. Swimming in circles. I don't want those ones to be the ones that make it. Thanks. Thank you very much. I'm already related to a few of those. Oh my gosh. My brother was definitely the sperm. Swimming in circles. circles. I won't say which one. Okay. As always, please share, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast players. You guys have already done that, I'm sure, but... Um, I guess you guys probably already done all of this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, so those things just push us in front of new listeners on the apps. Uh, we still only have two reviews and we've had those since the first month that the podcast was freaking released. So if you guys <laughs> could go ahead, I know none of you are those two. None. <laughs> none so of you. we love you Come so on. much. Go leave us a review, please. Um, and I know that takes time. So don't think we don't appreciate it, but fucking go do it. Uh, <laughs> you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and Twitter at Mommy's Horror, uh, Facebook Mommy's Horror Podcast. Again, you're probably already doing that. Uh, send us emails to Mommy's Horror at gmail.com. Send us stories or right, I don't know what your friend's story. Who right. you know? Tell yeah. us, tell yeah. us some stuff, man. Uh, you can join the Mommy's community on Discord. I think only like two of you have done that, so the rest of you could could come do that and come talk to us. Um, even though most of you already talked to us, but whatever. Right. Uh, you're already patrons, so I don't have to tell you that. Thank you. Thank we love you. you. We appreciate you, and we can't wait to see where we all go together next. Sweet dreams, spookies.